What's happening in the world right now, coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Ankle bracelets and curfews. Immigration and Customs Enforcement has a new monitoring program for some illegal immigrants facing deportation. The Biden administration today revealing new rules to curb fossil fuels. Meanwhile, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin indicating he'll oppose the administration's measures. Find out why. Former President Trump comes out swinging at a town hall in New Hampshire yesterday. We have the summary from the event and reactions from voters. Is artificial intelligence revolutionizing finance and even disrupting the entire field? Find out how AI is impacting the industry in ways experts could not anticipate. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Our top news centers on the influx at the U.S. southern border. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, announced a new monitoring program yesterday for illegal immigrants. Some of those facing deportation will be forced to wear ankle bracelets and abide by curfews. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the new program. The program is known as Family Expedited Removal Management. It will force some heads of households to wear a GPS ankle monitor so that ICE officials can continuously monitor them. The heads of the households will also be subject to a curfew from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. The process is designed to ensure that families who claim a credible fear of persecution turn up for their interviews with immigration services on time. Under the program, heads of the families will also not need to be held in detention centers. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says the government has no plans to bring the detention policy back. We are a nation of immigrants. We are also a nation of laws. But Mayorkas says that our current immigration laws are outdated. The solution we are implementing are the best available within our current legal authority, but they are short-term solutions to a decades-old problem. The secretary accuses Congress of not doing its job on immigration reform. The new program will also help ICE to locate families who do not qualify for the credible fear status so they can thus be removed from the U.S. within 30 days under the expedited removal program. In related news, groups of illegal immigrants have been lining up in a temporary staging area known as Camp Monument in Brownsville, Texas. Brownsville sits across the Rio Grande River from Matamoros, Mexico. Rights activists say migrants have been purchasing pool floats and life jackets to prepare to cross the river. The scene comes as Title 42 expires. The pandemic-era policy has allowed U.S. authorities to swiftly expel hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants back to Mexico. Secretary Mayorkas sought to allay concerns about the border post-Title 42. The lifting of the Title 42 public health order does not mean our border is open. The secretary says enforcement under Title 8 means tougher consequences for those who cross the border illegally. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Another challenge facing America, tough talks ahead of a looming threat of the U.S. government defaulting on its debt on June 1st. We hear statements from both sides, concerns about the nation's cash flow, and what an expert says can lead to prosperity and more opportunities for Americans to invest. Joining me now is E.J. Antony, an economist at the Heritage Foundation. E.J., thank you so much for coming on as this default looms. Well, thank you for having me. Now, the White House and Congress are negotiating a deal yesterday to try to raise the debt ceiling, and there, there are concerns about how there are higher spending right now along with decrease in revenue that we've seen for the month of April. Can you make sense of how this case, you know, to return this money to the American people, like you were saying, can you make sense of this and explain this for us? Certainly. I, I think there's a couple of things that we have to keep in mind. Uh, the, the first is that you know, Joe Biden keeps talking about how he has reduced the deficit. Nothing could be further from the truth. For example, in the first five months of this fiscal year, the government managed to run up a deficit that was larger than the first 11 months of the previous fiscal year. In other words, Biden has almost doubled the deficit in about a year's time. So by no means has this president reduced the deficit. He is increasing spending at the same time that revenue is falling. Why is revenue falling? That's because this president has done everything he can to strangle economic growth. And as the economy grows slower, we're seeing revenue to the 
Treasury also come down. And that's all that's exacerbating the situation with the deficit. So the, the answer here is not simply to just raise the debt ceiling and allow the Treasury to borrow even more money and perpetuate this, this, this cycle of insolvency, frankly. The solution here is to reduce spending, to reduce the size of government, and allow more of the private economy to remain in the hands of the American people. Can you help us make sense of the political divide here? Republicans have also jumped on board in spending, such as the bipartisan support for the infrastructure package, as well as, you know, historically going for more defense spending and things like that. Now, obviously, Democrats have had their sights on social welfare packages and things that go beyond that scope. But what's a realistic for solution for the American people here? You know, you bring up a really great point there that this really is not about politics. It is about policy because you can find Republicans and Democrats who have spent far too much of the people's money and have been, frankly, reckless with the federal budget at the expense of the family budget. So, again, the, the solution here is that we need to we need to make the hard decisions about what government can spend and what government cannot spend. And, and frankly, the current structure of things like Social Security and Medicare are not solvent in the long term. Those programs do need to be changed, as popular as they are. And you cannot simply just keep increasing taxes because those, pro those programs will continue growing. And so there is no limit to how much of your money government is going to have to take in order to continue uh, financing these programs. So again, the, the answer in the long term is going to be that we need to cut spending. And it needs to be across the board, right? Republicans need to accept the fact that the defense budget is bloated and wasteful. And we need to see drastic cuts, both in terms of domestic spending and also in terms of the defense budget as well. Former President Trump said that Republicans should hold out and risk the default and in order to get their spending cuts. What's your reaction to this? Well, I don't think a default is even in the cards, quite frankly. So if we look at the latest Treasury statement, for example, you know, the Treasury has more than enough revenue coming in to pay for all of the debt service. In other words, interest and in rolling over uh, old bonds, bills and notes. Uh, that, that it has. So the, the idea that the Treasury is somehow going to default because we hit a debt ceiling and it has to stop borrowing, I mean, that's just nonsense. The Treasury can prioritize its payments and can pay for debt service first before it pays for other things. But even after it pays for debt service, it still has enough revenue going by what we've spent so far in the current fiscal year. It still has enough revenue to pay for Social Security, uh, Medicare, veterans benefits, the entire defense budget, as bloated as it is, and still have half a trillion dollars, about $500 billion left over. So this idea that, that somehow uh, we would default, I, I think, is really quite silly. The Treasury is more than capable of prioritizing payments and ensuring we don't do that. Setting their priorities in order to avoid this. Well, E.J. Anthony, economist at Heritage, so great to have your analysis today. Well, thank you for having me. Now, the White House says Biden's budget reduces the deficit by about $3 trillion over the next 10 years. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin saying he'll fight against turning away from fossil fuels. That's as the Biden administration today announces more regulations. Here are the details. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin is opposing new power plant rules by the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA. Manchin on Wednesday said in a statement, I fear that this administration's commitment to their extreme ideology overshadows their responsibility to ensure long-lasting energy and economic security, and I will oppose all EPA nominees until they halt their government overreach. Manchin's vote plays a major role in the closely divided Senate as the Biden administration seeks to advance its environmental agenda. The White House on Wednesday was asked about Manchin's vow, responding that President Biden stands by his well-qualified nominees to do the important work of the EPA. The EPA's new rules released on Thursday would impact new and old power infrastructure. That includes new natural gas turbines and the country's existing coal fleet. The United States still has hundreds of coal plants, but the number of such installations has fallen sharply during the past decade. EPA Administrator Michael Reagan told reporters on Wednesday that the standards are about clean air to breathe, saying they would yield substantial health benefits as well as regulatory certainty for the energy sector. Manchin was critical to the creation and passage of the 2021 Infrastructure Bill and the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act. 
But in his Wednesday statement, he said that neither the bipartisan infrastructure law nor the Inflation Reduction Act gave new authority to regulate power plant emission standards. Manchin previously said he would go as far as to repeal the Inflation Reduction Act in order to protect fossil fuels. Former President Trump took part in the first televised town hall of the 2024 presidential election yesterday. It was held in the critical early primary state of New Hampshire. The GOP frontrunner addressed allegations and answered questions from voters. NCD's Jeremy Sandberg has the summary of last night's event. Donald Trump. Former President Trump received a standing ovation when he took the stage in New Hampshire on Wednesday. The Republican frontrunner in the 2024 presidential race answering a slew of questions around investigations and allegations from the event moderator. We were negotiating with NARA. All of a sudden, they raid our house. When Biden had his documents, he won't give back the 1850 boxes. And you're going to find some real gems in there. But it was so Biden who alerted them that he had the documents. Of, the National Archives reached of, out to you to get your documents back. Why did you not turn them over when you got a subpoena because we asking were negotiating for you to turn them over? Them. We were negotiating with them. Trump responded to questions about recent lawsuits in this week's verdict in the Jeannie Carroll case, saying he has no idea who she is and that it's a made-up story. In Washington, D.C., you cannot get a fair trial. You cannot. Just like in New York City, you can't get a fair trial either. The 2024 presidential candidate was asked what he would say to voters who think it should disqualify him from running for office again. Well, there aren't too many of them because my poll numbers just came out and they went up. Trump stood firm on his position that underhanded means were used against him in the 2020 election. He also answered questions from voters. If elected president again, what is the first thing you would do to help bring down the cost to make things more affordable? Drill, baby, drill. He says he would pardon many, but not all, of the January 6 rioters if re-elected. If uh, you look at Antifa, look at what they've done to Minneapolis and uh, so many other, so many other places. Look at what they did to Seattle and BLM, BLM. Many people were killed. These people, I'm not trying to justify anything. But you have two standards of justice in this country. When asked if he would commit to accepting the results of the 2024 presidential election, Trump said he'd be honored to if he thought it was an honest election. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Voters in Los Angeles weighed in on the town hall afterwards, and as you can imagine, reactions were pretty mixed. Here's what they were saying, watch this. Despite whether you like Trump or not, He's probably going to be the Republican candidate. So I want to hear what he has to say about the actual things that are going to affect people's lives. You know what I mean? It's really hard to get a job anywhere else if you're a convicted felon. And you shouldn't be able to hold elective office if you're a convicted felon either. Um, I also don't really think that it's appropriate that CNN is spearheading his campaign for him. They're supposed to be an impartial news network. And if he wants to campaign, that's fine. Nobody can stop him, but he shouldn't be celebrated and supported by what's supposed to be a bipartisan, impartial news channel. He has my vote, for sure. When, when he was actually president, things were a lot better than Mr. Brandon or Biden, whatever his name is. I think the economy was doing a lot better under him, for sure. I think that he has a lot of good ideas and is a good leader when it comes to the important things, but vocally and publicly, I think he's a horrible human being. And as a representative of the country, I don't think he'll be a good one. Trump's appearance on CNN was his first since before becoming president in 2016. He said on True Social, the network offered him a deal he couldn't refuse. Disney's stock is set for its biggest daily decline since Bob Iger's return as CEO six months ago. The release of the company's quarterly earnings report disappointed investors. Iger's return was supposed to give the company the boost it needed. His comeback gave shares a 23% increase three months after he retook the helm. But the magic didn't last. Early trading shows a 9% sink in stock price. It leaves the stock in a worse position than right before Iger returned. Disney's streaming service lost almost $660 million in the last quarter. It's a 26% year-over-year decline. Disney parks and products did make $1.1 billion in profit, but it wasn't enough. Disney ended up losing $16 billion in market capitalization. New inflation numbers out today from the Labor Department. 
But this one is from the producer's point of view instead of from the consumer's. U.S. producer prices rebounded modestly in April. Here's more from NTD Business's Don Ma. Now, more hope that inflation could be easing a bit. A key measure of price changes at the wholesale level increased at the slowest pace since early 2021. The producer price index increased 2.3% from year over year, and it rose just 0.2% from last month. The producer price index is a measure of the change in prices that producers pay. And here to give me an on-the-ground perspective is the head of manufacturing company HM Manufacturing, Nicole Walter. So we got the producer price index today, and you know, I thought to myself, who better to speak to than a producer herself, right? So I remember the last time or a previous time that we spoke, you mentioned inflation was one of the top concerns for you. So I, I'm wondering now, is inflation pressures easing for you? They are, but you know, we're also concerned on the manufacturing side of a constriction. Um, you know, as inflation is easing, it's good to see for the consumer side of things. Um, but on a manufacturing side, uh, we are worried. I've talked to a lot of colleagues and peers that we are seeing a softening when it comes to orders and quotes and new business. Um, and so that's what we're looking at. We're also looking at what Germany is up to as well. I know that they're considered a winter recession right now, that they were dropped so many points um, from what they were expecting. Um, and so when you're a global manufacturing company and you deal a lot with Europe, um, those are the things that we're really kind of looking at to see what is happening for the future, what is happening for next quarter. Um, and so even though inflation is easing, um, there is still more on the worrisome side of what's happening for new orders and new business. So basically what's happening is that costs for you have come down a bit, let's say, but demand has also come down for you. Correct. And, you know, we're seeing that in a lot of interesting ways. So material that used to be super sky high has gone down. Um, plating, when there used to be big surcharges from last year and the year prior, that has ceased and gone away. But you are seeing a lot of uptick, especially for, for my side, on the food processing, beverage, and packaging, um, OEMs and manufacturing. We are seeing that they have done a lot of overbuying, and so a lot has been stocked on their shelves. So we don't see a lot of new business popping up. Um, and we also are seeing um, where a lot of my uh, a lot of my people, essentially, like my workers, my team members, um, they're also seeing a slowdown and they're kind of getting concerned. Um, but when you look at companies as a whole, they're also asking for some rebates and seeing how they can start doing some cost cutting from last year to this year. So you mentioned a couple of points here, and I want to touch on them. But just a quick follow-up on costs coming down for you. What exactly have come down? Um, so for us, it's it's more on the material side. It's the plating side, heat treating. Um, and I do see some softening in the wage market as well, um, which is really interesting because before it was a mad dash to try to keep your team members, try to hire, everyone was kind of throwing money at the problem. And you do start to see, especially in manufacturing, um, where there's a lot of more stability in terms of people not uh, leaving companies and going to another competitor for a couple extra bucks or things of that nature. Um, but I, your burden rates definitely are not going down. I mean, my machine rates that I did in terms of new purchases, that is just, that's a fixed rate. Um, so your burden are still kind of creeping up, but in terms of everything else, like your materials, your raw materials, um, your, your purchasing, like subcategories, that has gone down a lot. All right. Thank you, Nicole. Great having you on today. Yeah, thank you so much. Now, 80% of the monthly rise in the PPI was due to services. That's things like food wholesaling and healthcare related costs. Back to you. Thanks for the update, Don. Would you let a chatbot powered by artificial intelligence make your financial decisions? Two recent reports are adding fuel to the debate. They're showing that ChatGPT outperformed experts when it comes to picking stocks. 
And experts say AI has the potential to revolutionize finance and help you manage your money. Artificial intelligence already impacting the way we work, live, and play. And now evidence showing its impact is also disrupting the financial industry. ChatGPT, a chatbot powered by AI, can apparently pick stocks better than your fund manager. That's according to a new experiment conducted by the financial comparison sitefinder.com. It just doesn't carry the bias that most humans do. So I'm not surprised we're seeing the first wave of AI outperform humans when it comes to portfolio management. The results of the experiment show that during an eight-week period, a basket of 38 stocks selected by ChatGPT gained nearly 5%, outperforming 10 leading investment funds in the UK, which reported an average loss of 0.8%. Meanwhile, a recent study from the University of Florida revealed ChatGPT could predict the stock price movements of specific companies more accurately than some more basic analysis models. While major funds have used AI for years, economist Joe Brusales says the technology is now in the hands of the average consumer for free. And it's up to you to decide whether it can guide your financial decisions. The promise of this is for American households and their finances is that it's going to bolster the overall management of money. You're going to have better returns at lower prices, and you're going to be able to do more and invest in a wider array of products that suit your own individual preferences and needs. Experts say AI can also help you create a budget and tell you how much to save per month in order to reach your long-term goals like saving for a home or retirement. And speaking of this, if the perils of artificial intelligence worry you, you're not alone. Congress is concerned, too. OpenAI CEO Sam Altman is set to testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee next Tuesday. It's the first time lawmakers have had a chance to question him since his company's ChatGPT took the world by storm last year. Since then, investors have flocked to AI and critics have worried about its misuse. Policymakers have called for guardrails and regulation for the new tech. IBM Vice President Christina Montgomery and former New York University professor Gary Marcus are also slated to testify. Congressman George Santos's deal with Brazilian authorities to avoid prosecution in a fraud case is expected to be finalized today. Under the agreement proposed by prosecutors, Santos would pay a fine and reimburse the victim the full amount he allegedly defrauded adjusted for inflation. The fine is about $2,000, and the victim would receive about $2,800. Santos is expected to appear before a Rio de Janeiro judge via video Thursday afternoon. Court documents show Santos confessed to defrauding a Rio de Janeiro area clerk of $1,300 over clothes and shoes in 2008. This settlement comes just one day after Santos pleaded not guilty to federal fraud and money laundering charges. Senator Dianne Feinstein says she is ready to resume her duties, but with a lighter schedule. Feinstein missed nearly three months due to health issues. The 89-year-old says she is still experiencing some vision and balance problems, but she is hopeful those issues will subside as her health improves. Feinstein had faced growing calls to resign during her months-long absence, most notably from fellow California Democrats and the New York Times editorial board. Her absence made it impossible to pass some of President Joe Biden's judicial nominees. Democrats are expected to need every vote they can get in the upcoming fight to raise the debt ceiling. That put even more pressure on Feinstein to either return or resign. In other news, Parkland school shooting judge Elizabeth Scherer will step down from the bench. She did not provide a reason in her resignation letter. The move comes one month after the Florida Supreme Court removed her from overseeing post-conviction motions. The state's high court made the decision based on Scherer's actions during the trial and sentencing in the Parkland case. It found that she showed unfair sympathy to the prosecutors. During Cruz's trial, Scherer had multiple heated arguments with the defense team at the conclusion of the sentencing hearing, Scherer hugged members of the prosecution team and the victim's families. The state Supreme Court justices cited these interactions in their ruling against her. The Army sergeant convicted of killing an armed Black Lives Matter protester was sentenced to 25 years in prison. The incident happened in Austin, Texas in 2020. Daniel Perry was working as a rideshare driver on the night of the shooting. He turned onto a street where Garrett Foster and dozens of other protesters were marching. After Foster approached Perry's car carrying a rifle, 
Perry opened fire. Perry's legal team said he acted in self-defense. Defense attorneys argued that protesters surrounded Perry's car and Foster raised his rifle when Perry opened fire. Prosecution witnesses said they did not see Foster raise his weapon. Prosecutors argued that Perry could have simply continued driving instead of shooting Foster. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has indicated he would pardon Perry, but he would need a recommendation from the Board of Pardons and Paroles. And coming up, mass COVID-19 testing is back in a Chinese city running for eight days in a row. Is a new outbreak spreading in the country? And China was once the top country for baby product sales, but the falling birth rate is forcing manufacturers to diversify. We'll have the details for you in just a minute. Welcome back. The chair of NATO's military committee told journalists how NATO sees Beijing and how it fits into NATO's plans in positioning its efforts while dealing with Russia. NATO sees China not as a threat, but as a challenge. And, uh, and, and the difference is when we talk about these uh, military plans is that NATO is not working on military plans against China. We are working on military plans against Russia and the terrorist groups. Admiral Bauer also made a prediction on the war in Ukraine. He said it would increasingly be a battle between large numbers of poorly trained Russian troops with outdated equipment and a smaller Ukrainian force with better weapons and Western training. Bauer noted Russia is now deploying significant numbers of tanks designed in the years after World War II and will mobilize and draft large numbers of troops. The comments come as NATO is in talks to open an Asia liaison office in Japan. The new effort was set to focus on the growing threat from the Chinese regime in the region. And other European interests are rethinking involvement with China. Italy may leave the Belt and Road Initiative, and in Germany, protesters at a Volkswagen meeting got a little creative. Entity's Tiffany Meyer brings us more. A cake flying through the air in a conference hall in Germany. The unique protest happened during Volkswagen's annual shareholder meeting. Things got heated as activists and investors voiced their concerns about the company's operations in China. Around 10 activists shouted accusations at the company's CEO, accusing Volkswagen vehicles of being manufactured using forced labor. Their banners read, End Uyghur Forced Labor. The United Nations has raised alarms about China's treatment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang, known locally as East Turkestan, suggesting that it may constitute crimes against humanity. Beijing has consistently denied this. Investors also called on Volkswagen to request an independent audit of its plant in Xinjiang. The plant is jointly owned with Chinese state-owned company SAIC. Ralph Brandstetter, Volkswagen's China chief, defended the company's position, saying, quote, we do not see any evidence of human rights abuses at the plant. Tensions reached a boiling point when an unidentified activist threw a cake at a shareholder, causing commotion near the stage. Volkswagen's supervisory board chairman had been speaking on the stage at the time. China could be on the brink of losing a major player in Europe. Italy says it's weighing whether to leave China's global infrastructure initiative, known as the Belt and Road. Italy caused a stir back in 2019. That's when it became the only G7 nation to sign on to the investment pact. The G7 includes the world's seven wealthiest nations. But now, the nation seems to be having second thoughts. Italy's prime minister recently told House Speaker Kevin McCarthy that her government is in favor of exiting the deal. As a member of the Belt and Road, Italy has been called a middle power bridge used by Beijing and Moscow. That's because Italy is part of three major alliances in the Western world, NATO, the European Union and the G7. In 2021, the European Central Bank's former governor froze the Belt and Road Agreement when he took power in Rome. And now, with the country's new government, geopolitics has entered the spotlight. The former governor had signaled support for Taiwan, which communist China sees as its own territory. That's despite the Chinese Communist Party never having ruled the island. But deepening economic ties with Beijing, such as the Belt and Road, would put that promise in jeopardy. Italy has until the end of the year to decide whether to renew the Belt and Road deal. 
While the world is throwing off the shackles of COVID-19, in certain parts of China, pandemic control measures are making a comeback. Last Friday, the World Health Organization's Director General declared that COVID-19 is no longer a global emergency, marking a symbolic end to the pandemic. Yet, on the same day, mass COVID-19 testing resumed in Dongguan, a city in southern China. The mandate will last for eight consecutive days. The notice stirred up fears among the public about the possibility of a new outbreak. Many people were panicked and worried when the news broke. Each test comes with a fee of about $2. Some question whether the mass testing mandate was driven by interest groups seeking to leech off the benefits. They used to impose these tests just for money. I didn't feel well for two months after doing these tests, so I stopped. Then the police came with vaccination officers and forced me to do them. The testing rollout follows China's Labor Day travel boom in early May. Many reported symptoms like sore throats and coughing after the five-day break. Universities, including those in Beijing and Wuhan, have reset their quarantine sites, some already overflowing with patients. Responding to the WHO announcement, China's top pandemic control officials said the country will remain vigilant and move forward with vaccination efforts. Beijing didn't drop its strict zero-COVID-19 policy until late 2022. The regime touted a decisive victory over the virus in February, despite mounting doubts and accusations of lacking transparency. Staying in China, sales of baby and children's products are shrinking after last year's historic population decline. For manufacturers, the scramble is on to develop new streams of revenue. Push chairs, onesies and cuddly toys. Items in the baby aisle are facing declining sales in China as more people in the country forgo having children. China's population drop is forcing companies that make things for babies or children to diversify or seek buyers overseas. Yang Zhang is one of them. She's the founder and CEO of children's clothing company, National Kids, which is now making more clothes for grown-ups. We have a lot of parent-child outfits. For example, a piece of clothing which I would previously only have made for children, I will now ask my tailor to make an adult version. Right now, the sales volume of adult clothing is actually pretty large. This is how we're currently preparing for the declining birth rate. We have considered making pets' clothing as well, but our team is relatively small. Last year, China's population fell for the first time in six decades. And in April, India officially became the world's most populous country. The knock-on effects have been swift. China's market for baby food and diapers is the world's largest, but it's expected to contract this year for the first time since Euromonitor began keeping data in 2012. The research firm estimates that the market will shrink by 2% to 37.2%. Billion dollars by 2025. Baby companies are going to face declining margins. Sean Rain is the managing director of China Market Research Group. For years, China has been the major growth driver for the world's largest baby care companies, whether it be infant formula or diapers or children's toys. What's happening is a lot of these multinational brands are starting to focus on India because India is still continuing to grow and has eclipsed China as the world's largest country in terms of population. Birth rate declines are not expected to end anytime soon, with analysts noting young Chinese adults are not keen to have more than one or even any kids due to the sky-high costs of child-rearing. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And after the break, a truck transporting oxygen tanks bursts into flames on an Italian street. Meanwhile, in Germany, an apartment building blast injures several police officers. Latvia imposes a strict new language rule on its ethnic Russian population. Learn Latvian or leave. We'll have more for you in just a minute right here on NTD News Today. In Italy, a truck transporting oxygen tanks exploded in a Milan street, setting ablaze nearby cars and motorcycles. One person was injured. Footage shows dark smoke billowing up over the street. 
Witnesses say the blaze also spread to a nearby building, which was evacuated. Firefighters soon put out the blaze. Authorities have ruled out foul play and confirmed no one died in the incident. The van driver suffered only minor injuries. He said the fire started in the engine. And staying in Europe, another blast occurred at an apartment building in western Germany. Several police officers and firefighters were injured. A police spokeswoman said the officers received a call for help. When they arrived, there was an explosion at the apartment door. The person living there has been arrested. The cause of the accident is under investigation. A temporary pedestrian bridge collapsed near the Finnish capital Helsinki. Over two dozen people were injured, most of them teenage school children. According to Finnish media, the children were a group of 8th grade students. They were on a field trip when the bridge collapsed. The local hospital authority said their injuries were not life-threatening. One doctor said they were injured mainly on their limbs. Police said the makeshift bridge was built with plywood as construction was underway in the area. The investigation is ongoing into the accident. Norway takes over leadership of the Arctic Council from Russia at a time when cooperation between the western Arctic states and Moscow is frozen due to the Ukraine war. But Russia would still be invited to the next meeting of the council in 2025, and that meeting could even take place on Russian territory. The Arctic Council was created in 1996 to discuss issues affecting the polar region. Members include the eight Arctic states of Russia, the United States, Canada, Finland, Norway, Iceland, Sweden, and Denmark. Russia was halfway through its two-year chairmanship of the council when it invaded Ukraine. This led the other Arctic nations to pause cooperation with Moscow, putting about a third of the council's projects on hold. In Latvia's capital, Riga, Russian citizens wait to take a basic Latvian language test. Should they fail, they may face expulsion. The state secretary says it's a matter of setting a clear distinction between Russia and Latvia, but for elderly Russians in Latvia, the test feels out of place. Speaking Russian in Latvia has not been a problem until now. About a fourth of the country's population is ethnically Russian, and it was generally accepted to have Russian as a person's only language. But the war in Ukraine has entirely changed the picture. When Moscow began its Ukraine invasion, Latvia switched off Russian TV channels and crushed a Soviet World War II monument. It has also started working towards eliminating education in Russian. And now in the capital Riga, dozens of elderly Russian citizens wait to take a basic Latvian language test as a proof of loyalty to a country where they have lived for decades. Each applied for Russian passports after independence Latvia re-emerged in 1991 from the ashes of the Soviet Union. It made them eligible for retirement at 55, a pension from Russia, and visa-free travel to Russia and Belarus. They fear they may be deported if they fail. 70-year-old Valentina Sevastianova is taking a three-month crash course in Latvian. Despite concerns, I have faith that Latvia is a democratic state and will not resort to mass deportations. Furthermore, I have no other place to go, as I've resided here for 40 years. Although I was born in Belarus, I obtained Russian citizenship only to visit my ailing parents who needed my care at the time. Last year saw a growing rift between the country's Latvian majority and its Russian-speaking minority over their place in society. There was widespread anger over former Soviet master Moscow's invasion in Ukraine. And after the country's 2022 election campaign, which was dominated by questions of national identity, State Secretary Dimitris Trofimos said the government has demanded 20,000 people sit through language exams. If we make the difference between emotions and uh, legal regulation, we understand. If uh, you are citizen, uh, citizen of another state, you are under protection, also under social protection and other kind of protection of another state. If you want to be and uh, want to reside in uh, other state, you have to be in compliance with immigration law. He said Russian citizens under 75 who do not pass the test by the end of the year will be given reasonable time to leave. If not, they could face forced expulsion. Poland has renamed Kaliningrad in its official documents. The Kremlin yesterday called this a hostile act as bilateral ties continue to fray over the war in Ukraine. 
Kaliningrad was known by the German name of Königsberg until after World War II when it was annexed by the Soviet Union and renamed to honor Soviet politician Mikhail Kalinin. Warsaw said that Kalinin's connection to a 1940 massacre when thousands of Polish military officers were executed by Soviet forces had negative connotations. The new name for the city is Krulewicz, which is what it was known by under the Kingdom of Poland in the 15th and 16th centuries. Turning to Spain during extremely hot days, the government says it will ban some outdoor work. It will come into effect during alerts of severe or extreme high temperatures. The measures will affect outdoor work like street cleaning, construction work, and farming. The move is a reaction to a prolonged drought currently affecting parts of Spain. The equivalent of over $2.4 billion are being used to help alleviate the impact. Spain this year registered the driest start to a year since records started. It experienced less than half the usual average rainfall during the first four months of the year. The country also recorded 11 hotter-than-normal days so far this year, more than twice the number typically observed during an entire year. Just ahead, Christie's holds an auction featuring a staggering 700 pieces of jewelry. But the sale is mired in controversy over how the fortune was obtained. And Italy's tourism agency has turned a Renaissance painting into a digital influencer, and Italians aren't happy about it. Find out more about the $10 million campaign when we come back. It's good to have you back with us. Christie's is auctioning a staggering 700 pieces of jewelry. They're from the collection of an heiress whose husband built his fortune from desperate Jews as they fled Nazi Germany. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on the controversial sale. All these items were part of a collection of Austrian heiress Heidi Horton. Her German husband built a retail empire. Auction House Christie's says the sale is expected to bring in $150 million. There is a huge amount of jewelry from all of the famous jewelry houses, uh, Cartier, Bulgari, Van Cleef, Harry Winston. Um, it really is an array of the best of the best of, of, from the jewelers in the 70s and 80s uh, and even on into the 2000s. Horton's husband, Helmut, bought his first store in 1936 from Jewish owners. Peter Orsas is a historian at the University of Würzburg in Germany. The German author was commissioned by Heidi Horton to look into her husband's business empire. There was no confiscation. He bought, but to be sure, he uh, profited. He took advantage from the bad circumstances, from the pressure to the Jewish owners. But the auction has been mired in controversy. Christie's said it plans to donate some of the profits to Holocaust education. Rabbi Abraham Cooper says it's not about writing a check. Number one, if Christie's wants to do the right thing, and they should, they need to halt the sale, halt it now before it's complete. Proceeds are set to go to Heidi Horton's Vienna Art Museum, welfare for children, and medical research. 100% of the final sale proceeds will go to philanthropic causes. Um, I think that was very important. We wanted to be transparent about that. Um, and hopefully, we cannot erase history, um, but hopefully the money from this sale will go to do good in the future. The sale has already begun online. The auction will also take place live and in person on Wednesday and Friday. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. An iconic Renaissance painting has become a virtual influencer. Italy's tourism agency spent $10 million on the project, but it's met with widespread condemnation. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. Renaissance master Sandro Botticelli painted the birth of Venus in Florence around 1485. The work depicts the goddess Venus, a symbol of love, beauty, and desire, emerging from a giant scallop shell. Now a recent government ad campaign has turned Botticelli's Venus into a modern-day influencer. It was born from the desire to look for an image that was an icon that could represent somehow art, Italian style, around the world. 
because this campaign is created for overseas markets, obviously. It is not created for Italy. Headlines in Italian newspapers have described the campaign as grotesque and vulgar. Advertising critics also point to the campaign's poor production value. Let's start from the images itself. They were not recorded by uh, Armando Testa, not at all. Uh, everything in this campaign seems to be uh, stock images and stock videos. Some say that Botticelli would be rolling in his grave. Perhaps Botticelli would not be happy about this, as happens to artists when they feel something of theirs is being stolen, their ideas. In fact, I must be sincere. I think that these images are lying because we absolutely cannot define as Venus and call Venus this figure that has been created. It is an image inspired by Venus. The CEO of Italy's National Agency for Tourism defended the $150,000 ad campaign. The fact that it has become so viral and that important brands and the creative among the web users have made her come alive, putting her in disparate context, I find interesting in terms of social communication. It means that despite the impact, it seems that our campaign is more appealing than they want to admit. Tourism is an important industry for Italy. The country welcomed around 17 million visitors in 2022, bringing in roughly $14 billion. That's according to Italian business association Confacommercio. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. From marketing to space exploration, NASA conducted a test of its redesigned RS-25 engine. It's for future flights of the Space Launch System rocket. It's the latest step in efforts for a return trip to the moon and eventually even to Mars. The hot fire test took place at the agency's Dennis Space Center near Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. The new engines will help power future Artemis missions to the moon beginning with Artemis 5. During the latest tests, engineers fired the engine for about 10 and a half minutes, the same amount of time the engines must operate to help power SLS to space. There has never been and never not on the drawing board, a rocket engine that, that uses this propellant combination, which is high-performance propellant, uh, to this thrust level uh, as efficiently as it does. One good test is worth a thousand expert opinions. So as you can imagine, in the development of a stage like this, um, there's, there's endless design, analysis, assumptions that are made. And the only way to prove that is to test it. With Artemis missions, NASA aims to send humans to the moon and take a step towards Mars. But the agency didn't say when the next phase of the project would take place. Space tourism may soon be getting a bit closer to reality. A California startup says it will use a SpaceX rocket to launch what it hopes will be the world's first commercial space station into orbit. VAST is hoping for a launch date as early as August 2025. Founder Jed McCaleb said he's investing $300 million of his own money into the project, but says it may cost even more than that. Vast says it will use a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket to launch its Haven 1 space station, and it hopes to then sell four crewed seats on the first mission to the outpost. No word yet on how much those tickets would cost, and Vast isn't without competition. Other companies are also working to develop private space stations. Several have the support of NASA, which is looking to replace the aging International Space Station that's been in orbit for 23 years. And still to come, a historic first at this year's Westminster Dog Show. Final winner Buddy Holly bested thousands of competitors, the first one of his breed to win. Details to come on NTD News Today. The top winner of this year's Westminster Dog Show has just come out. A hound dog breed from California was named Best in Show, the most prestigious award of its kind in the U.S. Buddy Holly, a petite Basset Griffon Vendion, received the royal treatment at his award celebration. The six-year-old male beat out 3,000 dogs from over 200 breeds, taking home the title of Best in Show at this year's Westminster Dog Show. He owned that ring last night. He truly didn't put a foot down wrong, and we could not be more proud of how he showed and handled everything. He was just perfect from the minute we went in. 
Buddy Holly was the victor of three levels of competition. First, of his breed, then he became the champion of the Hound Group. To determine the best in show finalist, the winning dogs of each of seven groups squared off. All seven of the dogs in best in show were great examples of their breeds, but then it comes down to which dog really is just asking for it. And he, his head was held high, his tail was perfect position for his breed, and he just went around that ring. He and Janice Hayes were a team. They were completely in sync the entire time, and I think the judge noticed that. Judges looked at the dogs up close, laying their hands on the animals, and then watching the breeders lead them around the floor. They were rated for their appearance, temperament, size, coat, and other traits. According to the Westminster Kennel Club, their prize doesn't carry any money, but it's an honor and a historic event. It's a little surreal still. I'm not sure this actually happened, so maybe I'll wake up at some point and know it's true, but this, this is pretty cool. The Westminster Dog Show dates back to the 19th century. It has now become a major annual TV event in the U.S. Buddy Holly is the first of his breed to win. Prom season is in full swing, but it's not just for high school kids. Pets are also getting into their best formal wear. Puppies get pampered at San Diego's Puppy Prom. Dog lovers put their pets in fancy costumes. The animals gathered in glamorous outfits to find out who was the best dressed. This year, a Yorkshire Terrier wearing a blue costume and a gold crown was named Dog King. Another Yorkshire Terrier took home the coveted title of Dog Queen with her own little car. The annual Puppy Prom is organized by the Helen Woodward Animal Center. The event raises funds for the center's rescued and abandoned dogs. This was the ninth year of the parade. All former residents of the dog's home were welcomed, but feline friends didn't miss out. There was also a special award for the best-dressed cat. In North Carolina, a curious cat was checking out a bathroom remodeling project and ended up becoming part of it. Surf City firefighters posted photos on their Facebook page showing the rescue. Last weekend, the kitty crawled into a hole in the floorboards during construction and no one noticed until it was too late. Firefighters removed the brand new shower floor and the cat popped up. The cat was not hurt and even made new friends with the firefighters. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. He had a bat, a little glove, a ball. Just 24 hours a day, that's all he could think about. He would say, you know, I used to be a tall baseball player. I would correct him and say, oh yes, you will be a tall baseball player. Then he started pointing to pictures of Lou Gehrig's mother and saying, this is you. I was like, is this real? Is it not real? And I did a past life regression. That to me was really where the proof came through. Watch the full episode this Saturday on NTD Television at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and on Epic TV at 9.15.